Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. Natalie is at the dojo again today. She's taken a lot of days off here for training, but um, I'm excited because today... Uh, we have two guests in the studio with us. We have um, Sandy Jones, who is the Community Relations and Events Coordinator for Paraquat here in St. Louis, and Christy Herzing, the Community Access Coordinator also at Paraquad. Sandy, Christy, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. So, Sandy, tell us a little bit about you and what you do at Paraquad, and maybe introduce Paraquad a little bit, because I'm going to guess most of our guests are not in St. Louis and have never heard of you. <laughs> All righty. So, Paraquad is St. Louis's Center for Independent Living. We work with people with disabilities to um, empower them to live their lives as independently as they choose. Um, I have the privilege of planning events for Paraquad. So I work, um, we have several different events throughout the year. Every year though, you're pretty much guaranteed to have our shine the light gala and our ramp up for accessibility day, which actually just happened yesterday. Awesome. Very cool. And Christy, what about you? What do you do there at Paraquad? So I am the community access coordinator and I manage our accessible STL program. And so through our accessible STL program, we're working with businesses and organizations to provide ADA site surveys. So we're looking at um, their facilities and determining if they are accessible based upon the ADA Americans with Disabilities Act standards. And then we also provide training and education on being more inclusive for people with disabilities, as well as a whole lot of other services just for businesses that want to be more inclusive, consulting, um, you name it, we kind of do it on the business end of things. And we also have, um, and what Sandy's talking about with the events, we also have a training on how to make meetings and events more accessible. So That's awesome. Well, that is why we are here today. One of the things that I hear probably way too often when I'm out in the community talking to other executive directors or other event planners who don't, who maybe aren't in an organization that is specifically serving people with disabilities. They'll say, well, there's no blind people coming to my event, or there's nobody that's going to be in a wheelchair, or all of my guests can hear perfectly fine. Like, why do I need to do this? Um, so why is it important for for events, especially fundraising events, to be accessible in the first place? So it's important for them to be accessible in the first place because you don't know who's coming in the door. So you don't, particularly fundraising events, you don't know who that next donor is going to be or who that donor's family member is going to be. So to be accessible and to think about that from the beginning, because if you don't think about accessibility from the very beginning, then if you wait for someone to ask for an accommodation, then you could find yourself at a spot where someone asks for, I need this accommodation because I use a wheelchair. And oops, we have picked an event location that doesn't have an entrance with a ramp that is accessible. And then all of a sudden we're trying to figure out what we need to do. So thinking about accessibility from the beginning is very important, but also making your event accessible is it, it speaks to a level of inclusion that then can help increase that donor base because donor bases are aging as well. And so that's very important to keep in mind as well. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is that I guess we have, we have this picture 
in our mind, I think sometimes of, of a younger person that has a disability. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that, that we all know, since we all work in that field, is a lot of times it's it's our, our friends and our donors who have been with us for years. Maybe mm-hmm. they're that donor that's given you $25 for 50 years. Well, look, they're, they're 70 now. And Absolutely. maybe there's a mobility disability. Yes. Maybe Absolutely. hearing's not so good anymore. Yeah, yeah, kind of aging into that disability. And what does that mean moving yeah. forward and how to make something inclusive for them as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some horror stories or some not to do's. <laughs> what have you guys seen out there that, that it and We've we've all been there. I'm going. I'm going to admit right from the beginning. I've screwed this up, <laughs> and like I've mentioned, you know, we we work with people who are visually impaired at Mind's Eye, um, but you know, we 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 screwed it up a couple of years ago. We had uh, a table full of people with varying levels of vision, and um, they were supposed to be served first at our gala, and um, for some reason, the people set out the buffet food. And then the rest of our guests just decided to get up and get all their food be- oh, <laughs> before no. all the things. And so our, our guests had no idea that there, there was food there. Um, the other problem that we had actually that year too is, is our, for some reason, our wait staff didn't think to specifically ask our guests with disabilities that, you know, if they wanted the food that was just being passed around on trays. Mm-hmm. So we've since trained them much better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what have you guys heard or seen? So um, I'm going to give a, a couple of examples uh, from my my own personal experience. Uh, they've both been events with Paraquat. Um, so I mentioned earlier our Shine the Light event. It is a large formal gala. Um, this past year took place at the Ritz-Carlton. And we do everything we can to ensure that all accommodations are met. We um, are very open in the beginning. Hey, if you need an accommodation, just email Sandy. She'll take care of it. And we do that. And we, um, you know, account for absolutely everything. And then we add in some cushion and know that there may be people who didn't tell me or think that I already know because we have a good relationship with them, all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So we had a guest who was deaf and needed sign language interpreters. We always have sign language interpreters at our events. That's no big deal. We had one on stage to interpret everything that's happening on stage. And then we also have one at the table for table conversations during the event. We had set up the camera and everything to have a picture-in-picture show so that when the, let's say, the screen is um, got like a video on it showing the person who's on stage, there's a smaller picture on the bottom that has the interpreter visible. So it's two different cameras. Both of them are on the same screen though. So we get the first start of the, the first of the evening started and our interpreter is in the dark. They're up there, they're interpreting, (laughs) there's a camera on them, but the camera is not completely focused on them and the interpreter is in the dark. So Mm. our guest who is deaf could not see the picture on picture screen of the interpreter interpreting. So I had to kind of run around, get our uh, production crew, which was fantastic. And they got on it right away. They started playing with the cameras. They started playing with the lighting. They started playing with the, the um, mark where the interpreter was supposed to be standing while all of that was going on, I had to go over to the table where our deaf guest was sitting and say, hey, let me have this interpreter interpret for you. Can you see the interpreter? Because the lights are low, because mm-hmm. the screens are on. Can't see the interpreter at the table. So then I have to turn the lights up so that that person can see the interpreter sitting at their table. All of this sounds really long. <laughs> Happened probably for less than five to ten minutes by the time mm-hmm. everything was fixed. 
But at the time, it definitely felt like, oh my gosh, how do we make this happen? Um, and it, you know, we had everything set up right. It was gonna, you know, it should have worked out great, but there were just like minor cues. So now we, we work to get our interpreters there a little bit earlier so that we can make sure the camera is focused properly <laughs> on them. Um, and make sure that everything will be good, even because a lot of times interpreters will switch out on stage because they get fatigued. So kind of make sure that our camera is set up for both of the interpreters who will be switching out all night and make sure that everything's taken care of in that way. Um, so that's, that's one of the, one of the ones that we've had recently. Um, and another one was we had a foreign film. We had some guests from out of the country and they brought some films with them and they had subtitles on them. So we're like, okay, great. There's sound, there's subtitles. Everything's great. We've taken care of everyone's needs. The sound was in a foreign language. So our guests who were blind or low vision um, were not able to hear what was being said. So we were able to get a, a couple of our staff to go and sit next to people and kind of read the subtitles to them as well. But that was another one that was like, oh my gosh, how do we fix this? I can't <laughs> believe this just happened right now. And those are definitely both learning moments to to make sure that we're addressing those kinds of issues too. So for all our guests out there, feel feel okay. The pros get it wrong too. Yes. <laughs> so, yes but I do. think half of it is is learning and trying and making mm -hmm. sure that like you're putting forth the effort and you're trying to think about it in advance. And when you get it right, it's so much better. Christy, what have, what have you seen? So as someone who has a visual impairment, the things that Sandy was just talking about with the last description that she was talking about, I go to a lot of conferences and things like that. And a lot of times they will play videos up on the screen and there will be words that are put out there and they'll have closed captioning for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. But a lot of times there are messages that are on the screen that are put into words and they're not spoken. And so when we can't see that, we don't get nearly the same message that everyone else gets. Um, a couple of other things that I've seen, I've been to many different national conferences and tends to be that disability gets forgotten about. Um, and I went to one where the venue was more the issue than anything else. There was, it was a conference for, um, a program that mostly people with disabilities were running and they had two small elevators that got you up and down anywhere in the hotel. And so for people who were using wheelchairs, it was a never-ending all-day mm. process to get up and down in the elevators. So it's things like that, you know, that really everything has to be taken into consideration. And everybody gets it wrong occasionally and it's okay to get it wrong as long as you learn from it in the process but it definitely that was like one of my first conferences that I ever went to and I mean I only knew so much about accessibility at that point and I went wait what how did this happen you know and it was it was definitely a moment where there were a lot of people saying how, what are we supposed to do now? You know, because they would literally, and I think one time the elevators got used so much that the elevators actually stopped no. working. It was just <laughs> that bad. <laughs> oh no, that, that is not good. Yeah, no, it was bad. <laughs> so, um, let's talk a little bit about what are some, some best practices, you know, from, from right out from the beginning, to let people with disabilities know without being like, hey, um, 
that your event's accessible so that if somebody's coming maybe with their spouse that's having some hearing difficulties, they, they know that, oh, okay, it's going to be all right. Or if they're coming with, if they know that, you know what, I'm going to have a walker, they know that they're going to be able to get in and out. What are some best practices to, to let people know so that maybe they don't have to like shout and say, hey, I need help? <laughs> so uh, it's a little unique for Paraquad because we are a disability services organization. Mm -hmm. So inherently, we do everything we possibly can to accommodate for many different types of disabilities. But we found the thing that helps the most is to just let people know that it's okay to ask for those accommodations. So on every uh, invitation that we create for any of our events, we always, you know, say something like, please ask for an accommodation or to ask for an accommodation, contact this person or, you know, anything like that. So it's already right there. Like if you're willing to be asked for an accommodation, your event is probably already on its way to being accessible and inclusive for people with disabilities. Um, so that's probably the best thing that we do. Again, like I said, we're a little different because mm -hmm. that's what our focus is. But if I see something that says for an accommodation, please contact, then I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter that I need this accommodation. This mm -hmm. person's going to welcome me and make sure that I'm included and involved in the event. And that actually may even help people, you know, maybe people have had transplants or things like that, or people that have d different food needs even now mm -hmm. too, which, Absolutely. you know, I think not necessarily disability, but definitely somebody that might need a little bit of, a little bit of different help. So mm -hmm. Absolutely. it's always good. And, you know, the more people that you can bring in, the better, right? Yes, always, <laughs> always. So um, let's talk about specific things to accommodate um, maybe some different disabilities. So what would you recommend if you knew that you were going to have somebody who was low vision or blind at your event? So the first thing I would recommend is, and we say this all the time, and you'll hear this recommendation come from us all the time, is when a person calls you and tells you they need an accommodation because of a specific disability, the first thing you want to do is make sure you ask that person what they need. Because certainly for someone who is blind or low vision, you want to make sure you have alternative formats such as large print and Braille or being able to offer those formats of anything that you have in an electronic format. But what that person's individual needs are may be very different. So a good example of that for this particular group is I was once at, a, at an event, this is not another <laughs> one of those horror stories, at an event given um, some material. So my vision, I, I only have vision in, uh, I have no vision in the right eye and then very limited vision in my left eye. And so I was given basically a legal size piece of paper with um, the font was like Arial Bold 36. And it was something that someone else was able to use well. But for me, I could only see about one letter in my vision. So it was not even usable for me. And I was not asked, you know, what works best for me. So that's number one, is making sure that you're asking. Number two, for blind people who are blind, who are blind or low vision, um, they... Alternative formats are the top thing. The other thing that I would recommend is if they need assistance. So if they need any assistance navigating the space, making sure that you have a volunteer, maybe from your organization or a volunteer that's working, that can help them navigate that space. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, I think that's true of pretty much any kind of, of disability, really, because it, it, the same thing could be said of a person who is deaf or hard of hearing. Absolutely. Not every person who is deaf or hard of hearing 
uses American Sign Language. Mm -hmm. Not every person who is deaf or hard of hearing can read lips. So um, it just kind of depends on each individual and what they want. The same is for a person who uses a wheelchair. Some people who use wheelchairs would like to transfer into the same chair that everyone else is sitting in at dinner rather than having the chair removed for them. Some people who use a wheelchair cannot transfer and so they would like to wheel up to the table in their chair. So just always trying to find out what that individual wants and providing it for them, but also being flexible that if you have provided something that is not what the person needs to find a way to provide what it is that they do need. So for the um, person using a wheelchair example, it's very simple. Either grab a chair or move or move the chair away from the table. Very easy to help accommodate that takes a little bit more planning for um, something like Christy was talking about, because if you need it in an electronic format, you have to make sure that you've prepared that ahead of time. If you need it in Braille, you also have to make sure you've prepared that ahead of time. Braille, a lot more. Yes. yes. You yes. get that program Definitely. done a week before. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So that is the key for just about any accommodation is listening to that individual's needs and not assuming that you know what's best because you happen to have a friend who is also got that same kind of disability. Yeah. And I think that's huge because I, I've, I've seen a lot of the, the same things and, um, you know, I've, I've certainly seen low vision people being handed, here's some Braille and, you know, the 10% of yeah. people who are blind or low vision read Braille and, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those things. So, um, but I, I think all of us sighted people just assume, well, they have Y'all yes. <laughs> yes. And I assume it's very similar with uh, American Sign Language on mm -hmm. that end. So I am not an expert in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there are lots of different uh, sign language modes. So mm -hmm. not everyone uh, uses American Sign Language. I don't know all of the different sign language. I believe it's called a mode. Um, but not everyone uses American Sign Language, even if they do use some form of sign language. So like when you're getting an interpreter, you want to make sure that you're getting the right kind of interpreter. We have interpreting services at Paraquad. Um, and so for most of our events, we do need ASL, but our interpreting services have several different languages available depending on what a person might need um, at any given time. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I had I had no idea about the multiple. It, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's just like spoken word. Yeah, there and there are different dialects as well. Oh wow, yeah, very cool. So um, let's you know try to kind of do some brainstorming so that people mm -hmm. kind of know you know maybe what what they should be plan planning for. Um, mm -hmm. Again, always want to talk to the person, but I mm -hmm. you know definitely like you know. Let's say that, you know, your former board chair has, has been having some back issues. She's, she's using a walker. Mm -hmm. What things can you do in advance, you know, to, to get ready for her to, to be at the event? Shall I? Okay, I'll go. Um, so one of the big things, especially in that, is clear paths of travel. Mm -hmm. um, making sure there's enough space for people to easily navigate. Uh, also, anything that's one level. You know, if the bathrooms are all on the same level as the event, mm -hmm. if you don't have to go up a single step. A lot of times I notice even myself, I notice it a lot more now since I've started working at Paraquad and working specifically on making events more accessible. There'll be one step into a room and mm -hmm. you don't even realize it because you can walk up that one step. But not everyone can. And so if from the get go, you're like, OK, everything's going to be on one floor. There's not going to be any steps involved. The restroom is going to be same floor, same level, no steps involved in that. I'm going to make sure my tables are wide enough to accommodate someone who's using a mobility device to get between tables. 
Um, sometimes that gets a little hairy because mm-hmm. especially for nonprofits at fundraisers, you want to stuff that room as full <laughs> as possible. Um, but, you know, make a little space so that everyone can get through all of the different aisles. Um, and then also having chairs available. You know, if you have a cocktail hour, that's great. But maybe have some low cocktail tables in there as well with chairs and maybe, you know, maybe just have three chairs so that if there is a person with a wheelchair, they can join in the conversation as well. But that way, if a person is using a walker, um, as in your example, they still feel comfortable and able to sit or yeah, sit at the low cocktail table rather than attempting to stand for a long period of time at the high cocktail table with the rest of the group. They can be joined down at their level. Anything to add, Christine? No, I think you covered it very well. (laughs) Okay, let's say we're having an outdoor event, maybe a picnic type of thing, and we've got a a single speaker as our PA system because we're nonprofits and, you know, we we begged and borrowed that from, you know, our program director's kid who's in a band. And... (laughs) So what what should we be doing if we know that perhaps maybe this is our volunteer appreciation and we know that a couple of our volunteers uh, use hearing aids and um, but we know from interactions with them that they they do not hear well. What should we be what should we be doing and thinking about in those situations? Shall I go again? Yes. I can go again. <laughs> You've actually dealt with a lot of this stuff. So. Yes. So. First of all, if you know the the person, ask them what would be most beneficial for them. Say, you know, this is our situation. We want to make sure you're included. Perhaps it's making sure that the table they sit at is the closest to the speaker. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's um, taking that that script of what you are going to say and printing it for them so they can read along as someone mm-hmm. is talking. Um, perhaps, um, you know, I know there there is technology to... Um, have an audio like descriptive listening device. If, um, you know, that works for people who are, are low hearing as well, not just for people who are blind or visually impaired. Um, you want to put that, um, give them that option. If that's not an option due to cost, see if it helps to have someone there live, uh, talking, helping them understand anything that they may miss as well. Excellent. Okay. So let's say that part of our mission is to have a a movie that we screen together, maybe they're educational of some kind, um, each week or monthly. And one of our participants is, um, has low vision. And, um, but next month we're going to do a silent film. What do we do? <laughs> Chrissy, I'm gonna let you take this on. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> so what I would probably suggest in that case is to think about um, probably looking through uh, the the movie itself and putting um, maybe a transcript together of, you know, what is happening within the film and doing that ahead of time. And number one, you could email that to a person electronically and then they could actually bring that with them on say their phone and so like technology is the best thing for people who are (laughs) blind or visually impaired and you know they could use their phone and put their earbuds into their phone and then hear that description of it using like their voiceover mechanism on their phone or whatever the android version is so that would kind of be my suggestion on something that you could do for the silent piece because you have to give them descriptions of what's going on because they can be sitting in the room with all this silence going on and people are cracking up laughing 
looking at something and they have no idea what it is. So, you know, a lot of times people always say, do people who are blind or visually impaired go to movies? And my response is, well, yeah, but I might also ask you what's going on during a fight scene or, you know, during something else where I'm not quite picking up the actions of what's happening. And oftentimes that's usually how we accommodate that for ourselves is just asking someone who's with us. So that would be my suggestion is looking at it and sort of making a transcript and then emailing that to the person and that way the person can use their phone with their voiceover and if they themselves don't have a phone let's say you have someone who just doesn't have a smartphone yet then maybe you can put that onto a device of your own and then allow them to use that during the film excellent I, and I will admit this was a, a an instance that we got thrown at us a couple of months ago and we actually so mind's eye as an aside has a, an audio description program where we have volunteers go into the community and actually describe really whatever people want. And uh, this happened at the, the U City Library. And so we, we took our equipment out there. We had a volunteer basically talking into the, the listener's ear, which was kind of cool. Uh, my describer was very tired at the end of the hour and a half I movie. Bet. I, <laughs> I bet. I Yeah. <laughs> she was like, I guess I was the movie. <laughs> so... Um, so and those are available across the country too. There's lots of places that do that, which is cool. And it's becoming a bigger thing, which I think is really awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. Cause it mm-hmm. used to be that, you know, in St. Louis anyway, mm-hmm. it was basically the Muni and nobody else that really did a whole lot of audio description yeah. until you guys kind of took it on. And now it's just spreading in it's St. Louis, which is fantastic. <laughs> yes. We like that. That's, that's the, that's real job time. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we'll do one more. Um, what about if we know that um, we've got, let's say we've, it's a, a sporting event mm-hmm. and we know that uh, that one of our participants is in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say it's baseball. <laughs> okay. Just to make it easier because otherwise it could be anything. Um, can we accommodate that person? Can we have that person play on the team? And if so, how? So we're talking about playing on the team, not, yep. not spectating. Yep. They want to play. Okay. Maybe it's like your community team or something like that. <laughs> so, hmm, this is not one that I personally yep, have experience with, to me tell you the either. truth. Um, I know that there are a lot of adaptive sports available. As far as playing on a community team, I guess it depends, you know, what the rules are. If there's nowhere in the mm-hmm. rules that says a person who is using a mobility device can't play, then you you include them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of times a person who wants to play a sport has the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those like general teachable moments, if you will. People with disabilities can do a lot of things. Yep. They can do <laughs> anything. All right. Give them a moment. They might do it a little differently than, than you would, but they can do it. And so if a person's wanting to play, um, they probably are able to. Mm-hmm. It, it may be that they, you know, will wheel their wheelchair around the bases instead of running around the bases or however it happens to work out. Um, but if it's allowable in your uh, specific league, then go for it. Let them join in and listen to what they're saying. If they're saying, yes, I can run around these bases, then let them run around the bases. Excellent. I love that answer because that goes out to the uh, just, you know, ask people, you know, how do you think we should do that? Because yep. <laughs> I yeah, think that's half absolutely. the battle sometimes. It is. And a lot of times when I was in a meeting earlier today and we were having a conversation and I was being told that, you know, this person 
could not use the accommodation that they had available to them. And I said, so did the person who said they couldn't use it, because it was not the person with a disability who said they couldn't use it. So did they ask that person? And they looked at me and said, I don't think so. And I said, well, you know, that's not necessarily as you as the organization. It's not necessarily on you. It would be the leader of the group mm-hmm. that needed to ask. I said, but the reality is they probably didn't because they didn't know how or they were too afraid. So then you totally changed everything because you didn't think that person could use an accommodation, but they weren't asked. Mm-hmm. And so it's those kinds of things, like Sandy saying, you, you have no idea what the abilities are of a person with a disability until you actually communicate and you actually engage and talk to them about the accommodation that mm-hmm. they need. Or maybe they don't need an accommodation at all. Like mm-hmm. in your baseball scenario, somebody may not need an accommodation at all other than being able to wheel around the bases rather than run. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you might, okay, Occasionally hear people say, well, is that an unfair advantage? I don't think so. (laughs) Not when you're talking about wheeling a wheelchair through dirt versus running. It can't be any easier. This is also a community league. So you're there to have fun. Exactly. It's a competition. Just enjoy the game. Exactly. Relax a little bit. You'll get that sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, that's, that's a good rule of thumb for anyone. You know, when you're out in the community, if you encounter a person with a disability, and you, your your instinct is often to run up and, and help them do whatever mm-hmm. it is they're doing. It's not necessary. You are, you know, it is your, your free will to walk up and say, hey, can I help you with something? And if that person says no, that's fine. Respectfully walk away. It's kind of the same concept for, for any kind of an accommodation that they may need as well. Yeah. Listening to what it is that they need rather than what you think they need. And I often like to say I use it as almost the offering assistance equation. So I say it it seems very simple, but it's stop, ask, and listen. And stop, take a moment, ask, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do to help you? And don't forget to listen because a lot of times what happens is people will ask and then they'll sort of jump in and do with what is believed to be what needs to be done. And it might actually be harmful to the person or to the individual and, or they may not want the help at all. So listening to the response is as important as asking the question. Mm-hmm. That That is a really good rule. Um, one last question I have. Um, can I pet the eye dogs? No. Ask first. <laughs> Ask first. Ask first. <laughs> Ask first. We um we do have a a couple of people in our office who who use service animals, mm-hmm. uh, either a seeing eye dog or or another kind of assistance. And you know the general rule of thumb: it's a dog. Everyone wants to pet it. Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> I love my dog. It's great. But that dog is doing a job. So you know. If you distract the dog, you could be putting um, the person who is using the services of those dogs in harm's way or at risk for something. Um, those dogs don't just work. They get time to play. They get time to run around and interact and, and, and be just like your pet at home. But when they've got either a harness on or a bandana or some kind of indication that they are working, you can ask, but you'll probably be told no. And then just say, okay, thank you. And let it be because that dog is doing a job. Yeah. 
The other thing I would add to that um, is that, and this was something that we ourselves, as we were training, were a little confused about. So someone said, if I bring, if someone brings a service dog in, number one, can I ask for documentation? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. The only things you can ask for on a service animal is, is this a service animal? And what task has the service animal been trained to do? But then number two, I often get the question of, well, they brought the dog in, said it was a service animal, but it didn't have the harness, it didn't have the vest, it only had a leash. And so initially, my response was always, well, if it didn't have that, then I'm sure it wasn't a service animal. However, what I've since learned is by the definition in the Americans with Disabilities Act is the dog does not have to have those identifiers that we're used to seeing, but it does have to be leashed. So mm. the things that we're used to seeing are that harness and that le are in that harness and the vest, but that's just what we think of to be as a service animal, but it can just be leashed without it and still be a, a working service animal. Excellent. That, you know, that's all really good to know because I feel like that is an, an area that people really get confused about is, you know, this person wants to bring their chihuahua in. Can I let them? Mm -hmm. They're saying it's a service animal or, yes. you know, all these kind of yes. things. And I think some people abuse the law and it, it hurts those that actually have really well-trained service animals. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's also important to note that service animals do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. They yes. are not just used for people who are blind or low vision as an animal to assist with sight. There are lots of different uses for service mm -hmm. dogs. Um, they can they can help with opening doors. They can help with picking things up. They can help, um, you know, some people who have seizures have dogs who can help identify when a seizure is coming. So there are lots of different things that a service dog can do. They are not all golden retrievers. <laughs> all right. It is possible for a small dog to also be a service dog. Um, so just throwing that out there because a lot of people, again, have that same misconception mm -hmm. if they're not on a seeing eye dog harness, they must not be an actual service dog. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing, there are probably two things that I would love to add to this before we finish, which is the first, a lot of people think that if someone is using a service dog and they don't look like they have a disability, oh, yeah. then one. that Good must one. not be a service animal. That's not true. Service animals are being used for so many more things than just guide dogs as we're used to seeing. The other thing I would say to sort of add to what Sandy was saying about, you know, even little dogs can be service animals. One of my mentors has brittle bone disease and so she and she also has is hard of hearing and she has a hearing dog and her dog is very very small because she has brittle bone disease so she couldn't have a big labrador retriever that if she's in a hotel room <laughs> trying to wake her up if there's a smoke alarm mm -hmm. you know or something like that so it's a very small dog and so there were even a lot of people asking me when we met her the first time what does that dog do mm -hmm. Because it's very small. It doesn't look like a service animal. And so, you know, then I explain what the dog does and why it's small because of her disability. And so you just never know, you know, what that dog is, what it's been trained to do, what it's a service animal for. And just because it doesn't look like a service animal doesn't mean it's not. And just because someone doesn't look like they have a disability doesn't mean the dog they have with them is just their pet. Oh, man, we didn't even get into dis in invisible disabilities. We're going to have to have you guys back. <laughs> well, I do appreciate we're all our time, but I appreciate mm -hmm. you guys coming. Um, Sandy, really quickly, how can we get a hold of you if we need to, to catch up with you? 
Um, you can email me. My email is sjones at paraquad.org. I'm happy to answer any kind of questions or help direct you to someone else who might have a little bit better knowledge than me. Excellent. And Christy, how about you? Uh, you can also email me at cherzine at paraquad.org. And we're always happy to answer questions and do anything that we can to make everything more inclusive and more accessible for people with disabilities. Excellent. Thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.